Hey guys, this week on Next in Marketing, I spoke to Jerry Dishler, VP and GM of ads at Google. We talked about why he thinks the digital advertising industry has lost the trust of consumers and why all the changes happening to ad targeting may be painful but are necessary to save the open web. Jerry also explained why Google doesn't see any of the proposed cookie alternatives as being truly viable as they won't satisfy the needs of consumers or regulators. Let's get started. Everything we know about the media, marketing, and advertising business is being completely upended thanks to technology and data. We're talking with some of the top industry leaders as they steer their companies through constant change. Welcome to Next in Marketing, presented by AppSquire. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Next in Marketing. My guest this week is Jerry Dishler. He's the VP and GM of ads at Google. Hey, Jerry, thanks for being here. Hi, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. So, Jerry, tell me about your career at Google. You've been there for a decade or so, and you've you've this role is relatively new for you. But like, what, tell me about your journey, like you know, building these different products for consumers over a long time, and then maybe let's. I would love to talk about what happened, how that looked over this last year with this unprecedented time we're going through. Yeah, I mean, I've been at Google for a long time. I started in two thousand five, actually and started working on the ads team in 2009, which is unusual for a guy who earlier in my career spent a lot of time with startup companies. The thing that's kept me here and the thing that's kept me engaged is just being able to have such an impact on billions of people around the world and now millions of advertisers around the world to help them with the platforms that we have. To your question on COVID, um, I took on my new role basically when when COVID broke, and it was really the best of Google. I thought, you know, when we first in, back in February, when we first were working from home, what I got from my team and how I felt was, okay, how do we make an impact on the world? And at the very beginning, it wasn't about advertising; it was about how do we get great information to our users who are asking questions around the world on what is this disease? Where do I find out information about it? How many cases are there? And things like this. So we had teams of people who said, hey, we're here to help in any way we can. And so we tried to help other teams just get information out to our users. After that, when we were able to fulfill people's information needs, We took a step back and we said, okay, let's get a clean sheet of paper and figure out what we want to do from an advertising perspective to help consumers around the world and to help businesses weather the storm of COVID, which was clearly a significant event, we could tell, even back then. And so we said, what do we want to invest more in? What are the efforts that we want to cancel or delay? And what are the new behaviors that are emerging during COVID-19 that we need to support. And so much- Actually, I don't, I don't mean, I mean to cut you off, but I, I would, th- part of me, I, w- I would wonder if you think, at that time you're thinking, well, we, do we need to change everything, anything with our advertising business? It's presumably a lot of, a lot of cu- customers are going to want to cancel stuff because things were closed and they couldn't operate. But it's interesting that you wouldn't just like let, the, let it like ride out the market, but you actually felt like we might have to tweak our business to, to, to adjust to what's going on in the world. Yeah, well, I mean, let me give you a few. Let me give you a few quick examples. So, thing number one is we had a lot of advertisers who were selling things that people weren't looking for, and so we built this tool. In fact, uh, with it internally, we called Demand Seeker, but is now our insights tool. It has, has become a part of Google Ads. Uh, we built a tool that says, "Hey, what are people looking for?" 
And so businesses could take a look at that and say, all right, I sell this product, but maybe I could pivot to this product because this reflects what people are looking for. And so we released that tool in a weekend for our sales team to use. And then increasingly, we made that part of the product over a very short time frame. Or what are the new behaviors that our, our users have in order to try to get goods and services? Like in the case of goods, curbside pickup became something that people wanted. And so we implemented that very quickly. Or the travel industry went through a huge transformation. How do we help that industry survive? And we had all of these fundamental questions that we tried to apply to our product very quickly in order to help the industry during a time of crisis. There's so many changes going on going on in digital advertising, which I want to get into. But largely, if we could put those aside, which is it's just which is not easy. How do you think the pandemic just has affected the medium in general? Like, are we? Is it just has it put that much more um, value toward? performance-based advertising? Like, you know, what, what kind of shifts are you seeing? Is, is it just going to be so much more of an e-commerce driven industry? Like, what, what, how do you think the pandemic is changing our business? I mean, I think the trend, the trend across the funnel is going towards digital, whether it's the top of the funnel from awareness to consideration to the very, you know, bottom of the funnel talking about DR. I think the pandemic has proven that digital advertising can be very effective. And even for those who are doing non-digital advertising, be, doing full funnel digital advertising is a, a key component in their resilience plan and the, the the durability of their business. Let's talk a little bit more about more recently, what, what are some new things you guys are doing ad-wise and, and innovations you're working on? And I'd also love to get into how, how things are changing measurement-wise, measurement because I think for a long time, you've you've tried to do both top of funnel and 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 kind of middle and bottom funnel stuff. And I wonder how that's kind of all coming together. Yeah, I mean, I guess if we take a look at innovation, I'll talk about um, three priorities. Uh, one is automation, the second is measurement, the third is privacy. If if you think about automation, the the pandemic provided a great opportunity for folks to understand the value of automation. So. The first thing that happened when, uh, again, when the pandemic broke is we took a look at our automation tools and we said, okay, are these tools working? Are they durable to the incredible black swan event that we had during the pandemic? Because anytime you're building statistical systems, you're like, okay, this works within a range, but what happens when you have this outlier event? All the variables are got, are changed. Like on a, That's on right. A but all of our systems, every single one of them performed well. And that was true for large advertisers. It was true for small advertisers. And we were watching like a hawk in real time. And as it turned out, the advertisers who were using our automation did better than the advertisers who weren't using our automation. And the reason why is because they were able to express their objectives in a simple form. And then they allowed the machine to do the work. And can, we, can we back up? What do you mean by auto automation? I think some people will say, well, everyone, anything programmatic or real-time bidding is automation to a degree, but you're, you're talking about something else, I think. I'm talking about automated, so automated bidding, automated targeting, automated creative, or the fully automated products that we have that are sort of goal-based advertising products like universal app campaigns uh, would be one example of those. 
And how much of that, sorry to keep, uh, to keep going backwards on this, but how much of your business is, how, I guess you have millions of advertisers, so many of them are probably not there, but like how much of your business before pandemic was automated versus uh, just programmatic or just, you know, using auctions and real-time bidding and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't report that, but more and more advertisers every year are using our automation and it's extremely popular among both large advertisers and small advertisers is a way of managing the complexity of their business. Right. Okay. So that that's where the future future lies and the the guys that were doing that during this pandemic did better. It's, it seems like or or handled things their, their businesses businesses responded well. Yes. I mean, we've been really clear for a while that we believe that that's where the future of advertising lies. The the reason why is because I mean, the this advertising system that we have and the advertising systems that others have are systems of their own design and they don't necessarily tie to an advertiser's underlying business objectives. If you can express the advertising in a language that ties directly to the advertiser's business objectives, that's incredibly powerful. And so that allows you to, that allows the platforms to do more with that information and try to achieve those underlying goals rather than having to worry about the cost of impressions or clicks or other things like that. You know, you're translating into a language that directly drives business value. And as long as you can achieve that, that's, that's extremely powerful. Well, let me ask you a stupid question that you made me think of this. The, cause there's, there's a lot of talk about how the artificial intelligence or machine learning or all these things that some of us understand, some of us pretend to understand. They're they're going to revolutionize advertising in some form, but I, I yeah I think many to date many brands will say, well, look, like of course I optimize like crazy to my objectives, and I'm looking at data all day, and we're and we're especially like the direct consumer brands, they're really successful at driving performance. So I guess how what it, what is the like, what are we missing? Is it just that machines can move much faster? They can understand um, data better than, than someone looking at a bunch of spreadsheets. Like, like what's the what's the revolution in automation? And, sh- and should I should I couple this with this broader AI movement we're we're talking about? So, um, yes. Uh, so let let me let me say, like, advertisers looking in detail about their return on investment and managing their campaigns very closely is a good thing. What the automation is trying to do is it's trying to do that in a more scalable way, in a faster way, with less effort for the advertisers and agencies uh, that are trying to achieve a particular business objective. To your latter question, which is, how does this tie into the sort of revolution of machine learning and AI? Um, We get a lot of benefit from doing basic automation but because it's Google and we're sort of at the forefront of a lot of the machine learning and AI work, we apply cutting edge AI in order to squeeze that extra incremental value out of the automation that we do. Okay. Let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's get, let's get to the, some of the, the bigger issues of the day, which everyone, everyone's kind of talking about all these macro changes and in industry and what's going to happen. A few months ago, you were at the IAB annual meeting. You talked about how, uh, that you know the digital ad business is sort of lost had had a had an unwritten contract with consumers and you're worried that we kind of messed that up. Um, can can you talk about why you, you think that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so the the advertising business and the 
digital advertising business has thrived because we are delivering relevant messages to consumers at scale. However, and we, we have this implied contract with our consumers, as I mentioned in the IAB meeting, which is, hey, we'll give you these free services, we'll deliver relevant ads, and in exchange, you'll give us some of your user data. And so increasingly consumers are saying, hey, I'm not really comfortable with that trade-off. You haven't been responsible stewards of my user data. Uh, you're giving me experiences that I think are uncomfortable or not desired. I want an assurance that you're using my data in a better way. And so the advertising industry has not necessarily uh, come to that reckoning uniformly, but you're hearing it from consumers, you're hearing it from regulators, you're hearing it from government officials, and you're seeing it through the actions of platforms that this is no longer that the past is no longer an acceptable experience. And so what we did at Google was we said, okay, what do we think the future of advertising should look like? And because we're Google and we tend to think technically, are there technical systems that will preserve the measurement and targeting capabilities that advertisers want, while at the same time providing consumers with programmatic assurances that their data are being used in responsible ways? We think that the answer is yes. And so we're working with the Chrome team on the privacy sandbox. Of course, they're working with other folks in the industry as well. Uh, but we're very excited about that as the future of advertising, because we believe that as an industry, if we resist this trend that's coming from so many sources, that we're going to spend all of our time pushing the boulder uphill rather than all of our time delivering great advertising with a better solution that's durable for the future. What do you think, was there one thing or a series of events that raised the awareness of this issue among, among consumers? Like, did something set this off in your mind? You know, I really do. I think it was a, a gradual evolution over time with various news stories, uh, with the actions of uh, platforms and regulators and things of this nature. I think GDPR had a, uh, laws like GDPR and CCPA had a lot to do with it. But there is a variety of factors over time. Really, what it comes back to with us is we always take a look at what the users want. And when we really started to see through our own internal analyses of users, as well as external data that we had seen from reputable sources that suggested that enough is enough in the minds of the majority of consumers, we really knew that we needed to act. And you, know, you can act incrementally or you can act disruptively. And our preference is always the, the latter in order to create durable technical solutions that we think will help the free and open internet in the long term. And fundamentally, the free and open internet is core to our information mission to provide information to billions of users around the world. So, Jerry, on, on that note, is there is there any one party that went too far and that we should, we should sort of say this is why consumers have now um, responded the way they are? Like, is it? you know, the buy side selling, retargeting, what caused this? I don't think it was any one given factor. I think it was an accumulation of things over time, but actually sort of taking a step back, I'm not sure it's meaningful to assign blame. I think what's much more meaningful is to be able to look forward to solutions to the problem that we're faced with and be objective and honest about that problem and then build for the future. I don't think it's gonna be easy uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I don't have uh, a solution that will satisfy everyone day one, but I think as an industry, we need to work together 
to find uh, higher ground. Uh, and once we do that, I think we'll be able to uh, continue to grow the free and open internet, which is so important for the world and so core to Google's information mission. So you're talking about like, we, you know, we can't go, we can't do things incrementally. We got to, we kind of have to try for like some bigger, bolder solutions to try and change this. That's happening at a time. So you've got like, we, we've talked about this. You've got the, your, what you guys are doing with the, the privacy sandbox and cookies going away. Apple's moves to limit targeting regulation, as you mentioned, you hear this des described in various things you read in the industry. These is, these are tectonic changes, fundamental shifts could be Armageddon for, for ad targeting. It's hard to know everything, but uh, the impact of all this stuff collectively, but in your mind, like how profound are these changes going for the next couple of years? I think this is going to be a big moment of change for the next couple of years, but I also think it's going to be a big moment of learning for the industry. And I believe that this is fundamentally important for the next step in our industry's evolution. And I'm confident that this does not mean the end of advertising or even the end of personalized advertising. Uh, I, I There's a lot of talk about one-to-one -one is dead. Like, forget about it. We, that was a mistake. We're not going to ever get that. Yeah. I mean, that's not necessarily true. We still believe in first party data. Okay. So let's talk about one of the, one of the big, the fundamental shifts that were, that, are, that are, is going to drive this big change. And that's, that's flock. You know, I think some people understand it from a high level, but can you, can you kind of explain like how flock came about and what it, what it is and how you think it's going to work? Yeah. So what flock is for is flock is a solution for uh, determining user interests in a privacy safe way. And so rather than uh, you determining interests based on a collection of individual user data, uh, we do this based on an aggregation technique, which is described in a paper that we've released openly. And so what that allows each individual user to do is to be uh, an individual that's uh, obfuscated by the crowd and you're acting on clusters of users instead of individual users. Uh, what we've seen is that you can preserve much of the value of individual user targeting with a fundamentally privacy-safe approach. Explain to people how this was developed. What happened was the Chrome team and the ads team and the with a little bit of help from the research team were operating independently, trying to figure out how to solve this problem of protecting user privacy while preserving the open web and uh, preserving an ad-supported model for the open web. And so this was one of these rare situations in which we collaborated together to come up with a solution. Now, to be clear, the Chrome team operates independently and they make their own decisions and what technologies they choose to support. But the ads team had considerable expertise in what will work for advertisers and agencies and publishers and all the participants in the ads ecosystem. And the research team brought with them you know, considerable experience in developing cutting edge algorithms in order to solve these kinds of problems. So this was a case in which we operated together to come up with a proof of concept to see if we could develop something that was privacy preserving while also meeting the needs of the advertising industry. And we were happy to see that in this model, we could. But so I think people don't actually realize that. Are they, are they assume that you're like, hey, hey, Chrome people, can you make something that, that works for our ads business? And like, who cares about the rest of the internet? Like you really are operating independently. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's, uh, 
it's a pretty interesting model. We run into these situations sometimes where we say, hey, you know, we do have to talk to each other occasionally because we do work for the same company. Uh, but the vast majority of the time, these teams are operating independently and certainly how they make decisions are completely independent. Right. They, you, they have different uh, KPIs, different goals, different audiences that they serve. It really is. It's a different part of the business. Yeah, that's right. I mean, what goes into Chrome is the decision of the Chrome team, not the decision of the ads team. We can help them learn about the advertising business, but ultimately the decision is theirs. Okay. So given how, how impactful this potentially will be for the, for the, for the entire ecosystem, there are people in the industry that will say, I don't, I don't love the idea that I like flocking principle, but I don't like that. It was, you know, the same company that owns the browser and a big ad network was developing, developing it together. And it wasn't done with all of us having a say, like, what, what do you guys say to that thinking? Well, I mean, we're going through flock origin trials right now. We've been very open with standards bodies. We've invited feedback from organizations like IAB Tech Lab and others, and we really want the input. The challenge is though, we wanted to act quickly and show what's possible as a way of rallying the industry to see if we can develop great solutions in a fast time frame that meet high privacy standards together. And so what we had to do was to put something out there to say, hey, this was possible. We didn't want to debate it. We wanted to see if collectively- You got to get going. You felt like it's too important. Yeah, exactly. We can solve the problem. There was also a lot of chatter recently. You guys made you guys made a lot, made a lot of noise with a blog post um, where you, you you kind of made it clear that you're not you're not going to continue the like the one to one individual targeting on the open web and you and the the big takeaway for a lot of people is oh you're not going to join this trade desk thing you're not going to join any, any of these other idea uh, cookie replacement initiatives why not go that route. Well, I mean, there are lots of folks who are doing uh, cookie replacement or data aggregation initiatives. We don't believe that these are necessarily durable. We don't think it solves the consumer sentiment problem. We don't think it solves the regulatory problem based on the way the winds are blowing. We believe that aggregated solutions based on privacy safe technology are the future. And that's where we're putting all of our investment. Um, well, when, when you hear about when, if, I, if I'm a regulator or I'm a, or I'm a consumer and I hear about, okay, they're getting rid of cookies, but then the new thing is going to use my email and some hashed thing. I, are you, that doesn't sound great to me. Is that what you're kind of getting at? That this is like th not the way the winds are blowing and it's not, it's not going to work as a long-term solution? Oh, you mean with the, the data aggregation approaches? I mean, we think that uh, fundamentally it comes down to, uh, do you want technology that uh, aggregates data for an individual? and has the, the potential of being uh, of the individual being identified and being used and abused? Or do we want it to preserve the identity of the individual, but still provide the, the value through uh, technically based aggregation techniques? We think the latter is more durable. And we think the longer that we cling to the former, to using individual user data in this cross-site and cross-business way, the more difficult it will be to get to the final solution, which actually gives us quite a lot of runway to do great advertising and preserve the free and open web. And so that's why we've decided to take that bet. That all makes sense to me. Um, 
I guess my question is if, you know, if I didn't know any better and I read about how the, uh, the cohort thing is going to work and how you're going to be targeting, you know, broader groups of people, it sounds like old school. Like it sounds like, Oh, we've, we've targeted groups of people, like people that like, you know, men that like sports on these sites and women who are, you know, uh, into beauty and on these kind of on women's magazines. Like if it sounds like we're not as, you know, it's not the, it's not the precision we be, we become accustomed to into digital media. Like, should we, or is that looking at it the wrong way that, that we're, that online advertising is going to get less precise or even dumber, so, so to speak? I think that I still believe that you can do great advertising, even with these tools. If we take a look at online advertising and we take a look at advertising generally, it keeps getting better and better over time. I'm confident that using whatever the state of the art is, creative marketers will be able to deliver great results and inspiring campaigns that are great for consumers using those tools. And so I, I don't think it'll be very, I mean, I think it's not going to be perfect. You're not going to get one-on-one -on -one precision, but I don't think it's going to be the huge step back that people are worrying about. I don't think there's much of an alternative because I think these one-to-one -one solutions are going to have a lot of pressure on them from consumers and from regulators. And I think that it's possible to get everything that you need while develop while uh, putting yourself in a durable position um, through these new technologies. So I'm very optimistic for the future. So you don't you don't think another one of the big worries is going is that oh well okay once this hits brands are just going to bail on the open web and put everything into Google, YouTube, Pinterest, Snap, everybody who's got some kind of first party data, and that'll be that. I don't think so. And I think that would be inconsistent with our mission as a company. So this is an area that we're extremely committed to. Right. You guys care about the open web. I mean, that's something you want to to keep having thrive. Absolutely. Okay. So on that note, and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll close it here. What, what do you think? I, you know, you've heard, again, we talked about so many different predictions about how how dire this will be or how it's fundamentally different different this will be. I've heard theories that like there'll be the logged in web where there's good advertising and then the rest of the web, which will be a total mess. Who knows? What does, what does the open web look like in five years in your mind in terms of advertising? So I'm super optimistic about the state of the open web. Um, I think that in addition to solving these privacy challenges, we'll be able to deliver increasingly exceptional experiences to, uh, consumers around the world. So during the pandemic, I've met with dozens of businesses, including sort of Fortune 500 or Global 1000 companies, as well as small businesses. And what folks are telling me is very different now than they used to. They're saying every business is an online business. There are lots of folks who had online e-commerce, for example, as a, as, as a loss leader. It was a, it was a uh, thing you could compartmentalize. It was, a, it was a small piece of the business. Now it's, it's core. Yeah, those arguments are lost. You can't be a loss leader anymore. This is core. So every business is an online business. There are lots of businesses who are rewriting their playbook. And there's kind of no way back to the old way. Like digital is more important than ever. And this is especially something that is underscored by certain industries that are really undergoing incredible transformation. So one example is the hotel industry. You know, hoteliers are rewriting the playbook right now. As an example, uh, Wyndham Hotels, we've been working very closely with them. And 
because the consumer behaviors are so different, they're actually using our tools, like I talked about earlier on, to identify what are users searching for and what are the trends that are causing people to go back to hotels. So they're finding out, for example, that, that travel demand to rural destinations is really important and a good way for folks to get back to staying in hotels. Interesting. So that's where they're focusing their advertising. And we're seeing increasingly using these kinds of tools in order to drive the industry forward and rewrite the playbook in a more digitally enabled way. So most of the companies like that used to kind of know their seasonality and their when their business would come up and down. Now they, they, need, they need to lean on your insights to try and rewrite this on the fly. It's brand new. As consumers are becoming comfortable with travel, they need to understand those new behaviors. And then once they understand them, to encourage them and use that data, bring it back in order to shape how they run their business. I said that was my last my last question, but actually one more. Does this get us to a place where if this works better, will the, will the user experience get better overall? I think that's one of the things that's been Besides the getting retargeted all the time, so many so many sites either bombard people with ads, the video players you can't see. Do you think this will help shift the public publishers away from having to throw everything at people because they feel like that's the only way they can survive? I hope so. I mean, I think that from a consumer perspective, from a user perspective, you're going to get fewer surprising, fewer negative surprising experiences with a model like this. But ultimately, a lot of the responsibility uh, lays on the publisher right. and making the short-term, long-term trade-offs in order to provide truly great advertising and a great experience for the users who visit their sites. And as publishers increasingly think long-term, I think that in itself will result in hopefully better advertising experiences, more consumer trust, and more consumer loyalty to publishers. From your lips to God's ears, yeah, I hope you're right. I think that sounds like, like, like a nice future. Anyway, listen, thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. A big thanks to my guest this week, Jerry Dishler, VP and GM of Ads at Google, and of course, my partners at AppsFlyer. If you like this week's episode, please take a moment to rate and leave a review. We have lots more to bring you, so be sure to hit that subscribe button. We'll see you next time for more on what's next in marketing.